You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon. It's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and you've got the Bo's Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and uh, it, it's a beautiful day here, and it's been kind of a weird week. You know, there's nothing like starting Monday morning off with the uh, total solar eclipse here in Oregon, just to kind of throw the whole week into sort of wackiness. Uh, and, and, you know, between the solar eclipse, forest fires, you know, uh, it just seems like, you know, the world of nature has dominated this, this week out here in Oregon. Although you kind of wouldn't know it looking out my window, beautiful blue sky, uh, we managed to get a little bit of a front through here today, so it cleared the smoke out of the valley for at least an hour, maybe. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty nice here at, at, in uh, downtown Elmira. And, uh, you know, today is a free-for-all day, you know, kind of no no guests, so, so any topic is fair game on the Bose Nose Show. So whatever you want to talk about, you can give me a call at 646 646- 721-9887. If you press one, that lets us know you have a question uh, or comment, and we'll get you on the show uh, as quick as possible. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press one. And of course, now we're coming to you live on Facebook, too. So, you know, all you have to do is, is uh, also PM us on, on Facebook, uh, and you can also even email me uh, at talk at krbnradio.net. Uh, and that you can do anytime uh, between shows and all that. If you've got a question or a subject you want me to cover, uh, all sorts of ways to get a hold of us here at the Bose Nose Show and KRBN Internet News Talk Radio uh, on Blog Talk Radio. We uh, do this show partly so that you have an opportunity to have a conversation with me. So I would love some of the folks, you know, that maybe comment on my Facebook posts or something like that, or, and, and kind of do these one way comments. Uh, give us a call here on the Bose Nose show. Uh, and that way we can kind of fully explore an issue. You know, if you have, have a question or something like that, rather than just the, uh, the limited, ability to converse that there is on Facebook. So again, that number is 646-721-9887. Just press one. So kind of wondering what everybody did for the eclipse here. I ended up spending the eclipse kind of just out in my yard. Uh, My wife has a business that's located on our property and her and her employees all came out and uh, one of our employees had her daughter and a friend here, teenage daughter and her friend. And we all just kind of pulled out the camp chairs and got a cup of coffee. And I bought a bunch of uh, eclipse glasses for all the employees. And we just watched the eclipse. Of course, it was only about 99% here in Elmira, but it was still a pretty impressive show. But it kind of did give an odd start to the week. And uh, wondering how how everybody else survived the apocalypse uh, in Oregon, obviously, I don't think we got quite the number of visitors, uh, and and the traffic was pretty bad, but not as bad as you know they made people worry about. Unless you are out in Madras and Central Oregon, I think it was bad on I-5 and bad on Highway 99 and a few other places, but it wasn't uh, standstill. Uh, there were people that missed their flights back 
back home in Portland because uh, it was taking them 13 to 15 hours to get from Madras to Portland. <laughs> so uh, we, we avoided that here in, in the Willamette Valley, and uh, it was actually a, a pretty nice day and pretty, uh, it was kind of a strange thing being out there for the eclipse. And I'm kind of glad I didn't go north to some of the more popular spots where there were crowds, because I saw, you know, TV news broadcast that and everybody cheered during the eclipse and all that. And what was impressive sitting here with just five or six people, actually, I think there was about eight of us maybe sitting out there, was how quiet it got when we were when it was you know in the almost totality portion of the eclipse uh the birds stopped chirping there was no traffic noise coming from uh any of the streets near my house because people i guess had stopped and were looking or something uh and uh the the street lights came on around us it got dark enough for that and it was just a really odd um, feel that I don't think you could have gotten in a large crowd. You know, that that silence that that just kind of overtook the world for a few moments uh, was pretty, pretty eerie. And I don't think if, you know, you were out in Madras at that big festival where everyone was cheering during totality, you quite would get that. And, and that was kind of, uh, it's kind of like the world, you know, hit the pause button and then somebody you know, hit the play button a couple minutes later and things started, you know, you started hearing traffic noises again and birds chirping and everything else. But uh, it was it was interesting to be uh, in that near totality uh, here in Elmira. But really, I do this show somewhat, though, to talk about what's going on in Lane County and to to get on with with you know, the regular business of the week, which was kind of odd because it seemed like Tuesday was Monday and, and all that stuff after after the, the eclipse starting out the week. Uh, it almost seemed like an extended weekend in some ways. Uh, we got down to business uh, at Board of Commissioners meeting on Tuesday, and we got to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and in particular, one of the things we talked about was overnight camping uh, in the unincorporated areas around Eugene, but that are within the urban growth boundary. And, it, and it's an, uh, an interesting proposal. Uh, we had a whole bunch of people come to us during our public comment sections months ago and repeatedly asking us to look into extending the same ordinance um, that the city of Eugene has on overnight uh, camping uh, throughout, actually throughout the county, but I think we're looking more at a pilot program where we can actually um, work within the UGB and with an intergovernmental agreement with the city of Eugene and through them with St. Vincent de Paul to actually run the program. Whether we can, you know, um, extend this program uh, to to those areas that are kind of between Eugene and, and the urban growth boundary, which mostly is in River Road in Santa Clara. There's a little bit of area out there in uh, um, the North Gillum area uh, outside uh, Beltline there on on the uh, Sheldon side of Beltline that's, that's unincorporated. And there's, um, you know, a few bits and pieces here and there around the fringes of Eugene, but not, not very much. But it, it really would probably have the most application because really it's about mostly churches and businesses allowing somebody to, um, you know, either put a Conestoga hut or, you know, one of those uh, uh, micro homes or a, an RV in their parking lot, uh, provide them with uh, uh, bucks and, and uh, access to running water and uh, power and uh, also trash service uh, and that's done through St. Vincent de Paul who kind of vets the campers to make sure you know you're not getting um, uh, uh, axe murderers or something <laughs> camping at a church uh, or people that have uh, you know uh, uh, sex offenders and are not supposed to be uh, within a thousand feet of a school or something like that camping within a thousand feet of a school those sort of things um, there, uh, but 
but the whole idea is, you know, that to, to try and find some dispersed legal places for folks that are homeless to camp. And uh, it's kind of one of those programs that has been pretty successful and has been in place in Eugene for a long time. And you'll see sometimes if you go uh, to a business or, or um, a local church around town, there'll be an RV parked in the parking lot that you'll see there over and over and over again. And it's probably somebody that's there through this overnight camping program. Um, and then eventually that RV might move on or that maybe the people that are in it will change tenancy uh, if it's owned by the actual um, church or something like that. But the idea of the program is to try and provide these kind of legal places for these people to be so they can kind of concentrate on dealing with some of the other issues around why they're they're camping out of vehicles or camping in the woods in the first place um, and have some a little bit of stability and safety and good sanitary conditions and what it does is it pulls them out of the bushes uh, next to our rivers and streams and uh, in our parks where they don't have sanitary facilities so um, or trash disposal available to them so they end up leaving quite a mess behind themselves and really um, degrading the experience for everybody in, in, in the outdoors when you run across some of these campsites. And they also tend, um, because there's some safety in numbers, they'll, they'll congregate in groups. Um, and as you get you know, larger and larger groups camping together, the worse the trash gets, the more the uh, criminal element tends to wrap into them and the more dangerous it gets for uh, law enforcement to enter into those camps because they're you know outnumbered a lot of times uh, and these distributed uh, group mentality that, uh, and it's so it kind of you know pulls people out of the bushes and puts them in a legal spot uh, has them you know we know who's camping there because they've been vetted through through St. Vincent de Paul. Um, so if there is a problem, uh, we know uh, who to talk to. Uh, and it's um, been a successful program in, in Eugene. The actual complaint rate um, from their, their overnight camping program is uh, less than 1% of their, uh, their campsites have had complaints filed against them. And most of those complaints have been resolved by St. Vincent de Paul through mediation, um, either with the actual camper, if it was a camper's behavior, uh, or with neighbors that, that might ha have had uh, expectations that were unrealistic about, um, about the camping. Uh, but they tend, to, they tend to resolve without any law enforcement, um, which is kind of interesting because the general population has about a 2% um, incarceration rate where people are either in jail, in prison, or currently on parole and probation. So 1% is even lower than the general population as far, and it's not criminal necessarily because these folks are a lot of times, it just it means somebody coming out saying, hey, you guys can't be doing that, and they stop. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's been a pretty successful program but of course, anytime you start talking about homeless camping and camping in, in general, it, it, it generates a lot of emotion and a lot of fear because you know it's something new, it's a change. Why should we do this? Why do we even have to help the homeless? You know, because they really should be helping themselves. You know, they they did it to themselves kind of attitude, um, and and that's something you know that I'm sensitive to and I'm and, and something I, I want to hear from people about, you know, do they know of, you know, bad experiences from these church camping programs? Um, you know, are they, you know, is there something that I'm not seeing in, in before we get to a decision point on this? Because at this point, the board just had a discussion about it and kind of um, let staff continue moving down the path where they are going to keep talking to the city of Eugene, St. Vincent de Paul, developing a possible, inter, you know, at least a draft of maybe an intergovernmental agreement, identifying what the cost might be, where we would get the funding 
for the program. Uh, we expect the cost to be something less than the 89,000 it costs to do the entire citywide program in Eugene that they're paying St. Vincent's right now. Um, seeing that the unincorporated areas are a small fraction of the area of the total city. Uh, we don't expect to be paying 89,000. Um, so it's not a large program when it comes to, to Lane County. Our, our human services uh, division spends 17 million a year in their annual budget on various um, poverty and homelessness uh, programs, uh, energy assistance, et cetera. So, uh, some fraction of 89,000 um, pales compared to some of the, the dollar amounts we're spending on trying to help people right now through other uh, assistance programs. So, um, you know, as our staff is developing all this, we'll get to a point eventually where um, we are going to uh, need to, you know, adopt code. If we decide if the board continues moving ahead, we'll have to uh, amend our our county code to allow this sort of camping in the in the unincorporated areas of Eugene. And at that point, we'll have to hold a public hearing and all that. But you know, even before then, there's a lot of ways to to let the board know what you think about this whole proposal to do overnight camping uh, in these unincorporated areas of Eugene, like Santa Clara and River Road. So, um, you know, and right now you can let me know directly by calling me at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one, and that lets you know how to get in on the Bo's Nose program. And that is you know really what i do this program for i want to hear from you about things that might be coming up for the board to decide about you know that way i can get your input before we make a decision instead of just telling you about a decision we made later on a Bose, a future bose nose show now's your opportunity but it looks like we'll have other opportunities for input about this because uh at right now it looks like um uh, you know, we're we're headed in a direction that if we do have that public hearing, we're going to have it probably at at an off-site location in the evening, maybe even at North Eugene High School, right out in the area where where this would be affected. So, uh, hopefully, it will make it easy for people to come and give us that input uh, in the future. So, you know, that whole overnight um, camping program uh, is. You know, part of what was on the board's agenda. And then, you know, there's been even, you know, a couple of days ago, they had an article in the Register Guard about um, an apartment building that we're looking to to find funding for that's going to be near the uh, Watson Stadium on our Martin Luther King um, Boulevard uh, Servu uh, campus there. And it's going to be a housing first facility. And uh, a lot of people have been question, you know, raising questions to me about that. In fact, I even understand that Lars even pulled the uh, article off the register guard. What's kind of interesting is our discussion about this was almost a month ago, and the register guard wrote the article this week. I don't know why they decided to suddenly um, write an article about it, but they did. And um, of course, you know, one of the things the Register Guard notes is, you know, how much the building might cost. Of course, it's a very, very, very preliminary uh, draft um, estimate of what the building's going to cost. Um, so it's no, in no way anything firm at this point. We haven't done any design work. We haven't got any initial uh, cost estimates from an engineer. Uh, it's one of those, you know, you know, putting your thumb out. Uh, sort of type uh, and trying to estimate in a very broad sense based on some uh, square footage, you know, price per square foot type um, estimates, which are pretty, um, you know, with a lot of contingencies built in. So I think it's probably inflated to some degree at this point, uh, the uh, approximately 11 million that, that we think the building might cost. But um, the housing first model is kind of an interesting, um, you know, where the the 
overnight camping program is much more kind of um, a band-aid fix to homelessness. You know, it's sort of providing a safe place for people to camp. It's it's a little bit better than I would say a rest stop program is because it's it's um, a little bit more dispersed camping and, and it kind of gets people in a little bit more permanent situation where they can start dealing with some other issues and the rest some of the rest stop programs don't really do that as well. But housing first is an interesting concept in that it doesn't have any prerequisites to get into your the unit for somebody. Um, we're not demanding that people uh, not test positive for drugs. Um, that they they don't have a criminal history, you know, like some uh, uh, landlords might require to get an, uh, to sign a lease. Um, it's really about getting people with a roof over their head with no barriers. But once you have that roof over your head in the housing first model, you are assigned a case manager and you get intensive case management. And also at the same time, you're in a building that has restricted access. You know, it's not just about having, you know, a place to flop and then you get to, to run out and party anytime you want, and bring your party and friends back to your place with you. Um, they don't let you bring guests up, up to your, your uh, quarters uh, freely. Uh, so they kind of control uh, one, there's some control about, you know, Good peers, bad peers, if you know what I mean. Uh, where where you you just can't have you you won't be with the same crowd you were without the woods camping and and drinking and doing drugs, whatever it was you were doing out there. Um, you're in a controlled environment and you have a case manager. That case manager is going to connect you with with what you need to deal with the issues that made you homeless in the first place. And that could be anything from getting you into an addiction treatment program. If you're dealing with you know, drugs or alcohol addiction problems, it could be about getting you into uh, see mental health professionals to deal with back underlying mental health issues, getting corrected medications, getting you restarted on medications, getting you into group therapies, all those various things to deal with that. Because, you know, we're dealing with everything from the, the person that um you know was victimized as a as a juvenile uh and in in the sex trade and ended up um hooked on drugs through that and we're trying to correct all those issues to the veteran that's suffering as severe ptsd uh you know they're in the homeless population so there's always you know, a lot of background issues that, that a lot of reasons why folks end up homeless. It could be physical health that we need to help people with and all. But, you know, the, the object is you get a roof over their head, resolve that issue, then start dealing with the underlying base causes of the homelessness. And as you help those people, we can move on beyond just, you know, some of the, the basics of dealing with addiction, all that stuff, the job training. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which kind of teaches people how to deal with with various conflict and crisis without ending up on the wrong side of the law, um, and you know really help those people become ultimately self-sufficient. Move, you know, help those people move from that housing first model. Once we've stabilized them, dealt with some of those base issues getting them dealing with those issues, move them into transitional housing next, and ultimately permanent housing, and maybe even get them a job, get them into marketplace housing, and they're paying taxes ultimately. And what I look at housing first as is that is the permanent way to resolve homelessness. Almost everything else, you know, rest stops and some of these other things, Egan warming centers and all that, um, you know, providing, you know, uh, soup kitchens, all that stuff, that isn't dealing with the underlying issues of why those folks are on the street. And it's not getting them permanently back into housing and trying to, you know, get them uh, in a stable enough situation where they aren't going to be homeless. And hopefully, if, you know, 
if they maintain their stability, uh, stay away from the streets forever. That, that's really the exciting part to me. And it's kind of, you know, people, you know, sometimes think, you know, why is somebody that is seen more as a conservative like I am uh, thinking about things like housing first and this overnight camping program and all that? What people don't understand maybe is just how much homeless folks cost us here in Lane County. And, and when you really get down to it, um, their cost per year can be somewhere upwards of, you know, it's been estimated at a minimum of 30,000 in a year a homeless person will cost the taxpayers to upwards of 100,000 or more. Uh, and that's based on the fact that uh, quite often these people are arrested multiple times uh, during the year. The average is about 10, you know, uh, and, and they're in contact with law enforcement even more than that. Um, not just that's the number of actual arrests and bookings. Um, it, it's also uh, every time they're called out doesn't necessarily end up in an arrest. So you think about it, if that's the average number of bookings, it, it, the actual contacts of law enforcement is even higher. So just think about the, just the, the cost of the police officer or deputy or state trooper that's constantly in contact with those people. And then their time to actually go and book them into jail and eventually show up at, at a, uh, uh, you know, their court dates, which half the time these folks miss because they're back out on the street and they never and they do failure to appear all the time. So just that law enforcement cost. And then you start thinking about, well, they get booked into the jail. They, you know, that that's cost in the jail. Just that booking process takes several hours and, and you know, Got to go through, you know, category, you know, cataloging all their personal property, storing it, uh, returning it to them on release, you know, all those various clerical things that happen with booking somebody in and out of jail. Not to mention, you know, how many days do they end up staying in that in the jail before they're either uh, released because of capacity reasons, uh, pre-trial, or they end up going to trial and and and. Uh, sentence for a short sentence, whatever it is, because, you know, a lot of them end up in there on behavior crimes, which are mostly misdemeanors. Uh, they, it's, you know, then you're talking about court costs, prosecution costs, incarceration costs, and then, you know, they end up on probation, so there's supervision costs. All those things add up, you know, and, and it's mostly because, you know, there are all these behavior issues that are driven by everything from, you know, one of the reasons why they're on the street is probably because they exhibited some of these behavior issues at one point when they're actually a tenant and some landlord evicted them over that, that those issues and they lost their jobs probably over similar uh, mental health and behavioral issues or addiction driven issues. Um, so, you know, they repeat those out on the street, they get arrested for it or they get hauled into an emergency room and they end up, you know, in the Johnson unit uh, at Peace, Peace Health and that health care cost ends up coming back to the taxpayers also because guess who's paying the cost when they end up at the emergency room? And with the average ambulance transport costing somewhere around $1,800 to, to $2,400, uh, so by the time somebody gets found half passed out uh, and, is, you know, because they maybe weren't dealing with their underlying diabetes because of their overlying addiction issue. Um, by the time they go transported to the hospital, stay in the emergency room, get treated, go through all that stuff, get released back out on the street. Of course, they're back there in another week or two when they have another crisis. Um, that's costing us a lot of money. And and the idea of housing first is, is you try and find those most high users of the system, you know, the frequent users, um, high utilizers of, of law enforcement, of emergency medical services, of social services, and get those folks uh, into this housing first situation, and it will actually save the taxpayers money. 
and there's a return on an investment for it. So, you know, just on a fiscally conservative model, housing first works. You know, if, if you're a fiscal conservative and, and you're worried about how much money uh, you're paying in taxes, you really want your um, to have this how you, how you deal with, with homelessness. You don't want to deal with it with law enforcement. You don't want to deal with it in the emergency room. You really want to deal with it in this kind of housing first model because even that intensive case management and having to, you know, provide a, a, a temporary shelter during that case management and get, and stabilizing folks is cheaper than putting them in a jail. Because I guarantee you, we're going to end up dealing with the uh, withdrawal symptoms and everything else and the medical costs in the jail, just like you would in the housing first situation, except for it's a totally different situation um, and, and, and a much lower cost ability, particularly seeing um, a lot of times we can get these facilities to be run by a nonprofit. Uh, so we're not, you know, contracting some of those services out at a lower cost um, rather than paying a sheriff's deputy. Uh, you know, it, it's a whole different uh, situation. Jail is the most expensive way to house a homeless person, except for maybe prison or the state mental hospital uh, might be a bit more expensive. Uh, so, you know, get these folks into this housing first situation, get them stable then get them permanently off the street eventually. You know, deal with those base issues and get them permanently off the street. How much money does that save us over the years in taxpayer cost? And that's really, you know, if you're just a strict fiscal conservative, how can you not look at that and say, that is the model we should be looking for in our homeless solutions here in Lane County. And then if you're, you're more of a, uh, social conservative, you have to look at it as which one is giving a man a fish and which one is teaching a man to fish. You know, go back to the old thing about, you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and he's fed for life. You know, hauling somebody into jail overnight, you know, because of behaviors and, and issues they have, you know, illegal camping, you know, uh, you know, public indecency for, you know, having to go to the bathroom in public or whatever, all those things that happen to homeless people, none of that's really teaching them to fish. But you put them in housing first with intensive case management and deal with those underlying issues and, and start giving them some tools like the cognitive behavioral therapy, the uh, job training, uh, you know, help, you know, helping them out to get into, you know, transitional housing and permanent housing, you're teaching them to fish. And, and, you know, if that isn't a conservative message, I don't know what isn't. So, you know, between the fiscal return on investment of housing first and between and the, the, the social investment of teaching people to fish, I can't see why anyone can look at that as a conservative and go, this is a horrible idea. You know, to me, it seems like it's a great idea. And if we're going to invest money in dealing with the homeless population in Lane County, I think this is the, the investment that actually deals with it in the best way. The only better investment we can make is to try and prevent you from becoming homeless in the first place. You know, because you know, the housing first model is not cheap. It's far cheaper to try and keep youth off the street in the first place, which is one of the reasons why I support the 15th Night Initiative. And we've talked about that on past Bo's Nose shows. But I'm interested in, in hearing what you think of this whole homeless issue um, and, and what we ought to be doing here in Lane County to deal with it. You can give me a call on the Bo's Nose show here at 646-721-9887 and just press 1. And that gets you in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show. And we can talk about homelessness, or we can talk about the eclipse, or anything else you want to talk about here in Lane County. In fact, you know, I have a couple other things on my mind, and I kind of teased one of them in my promo 
I said I wanted to talk about triangles. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty cryptic uh, to place on, on my Facebook post about this. Um, and probably I would, I would defy somebody to call me now at 646-721-9887 and guess what I wanted to talk about when I said I wanted to talk about triangles. Um, and and uh, if I had a, 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 an ugly mug like, like uh, the wake up call, I'd give it to you, but uh, I don't. So I don't have a real prize for you other than you, know, you can get the satisfaction of calling in here and guessing what I meant about triangles. But I doubt anyone can because it was really cryptic. So I will I will clue you in as to what I was going to talk about with triangles, and this deals with with national news over the last couple of weeks, and and just um, society in general, and how um, this particular triangle has been used to divide us as a society and to actually establish tyranny. Uh, and that is the triangle of the victim, the protector, and the oppressor. Now, I'll go over that again. It's the victim slash victim group, the protector defender group, and the oppressor group. That this falsehood that's been set up by, by many a uh, political movement, political leader, what you name it, is to first identify some victim or victim group. And, and it's usually a group, because the whole point of this is to try and divide us into groups. And then to claim that, that group's a victim of some other group that's oppressing it, or somehow or another victimizing that group. And that they will claim the mantle of trying to protect the victims. And because they're the protector, they have the moral superiority. And in that moral superiority, they will get folks to agree to some um, really tyranny over what they've identified as the oppressor group. And it's something that you see um, exercised in the extremes of our uh, political discussion on both sides of of uh, it, whether you want to call it the political aisle. And um, I see it being exercised, anything from, you know, the president's speech last night in Phoenix, where, you know, he identifies him, him, himself as the victim, you know, and, and the press is the oppressor group uh, in their, quote, false news. Uh, and, um, you know, and he kind of, you know, tries to put, his supporters in the, the the protector role in that in that sort of triangle, and he switches it around sometimes. But you'll you if you watch that pattern in in uh, in uh, President Trump, you'll see it occur now and then. And it's no different. President Obama did the same thing quite often, where he would identify a victim group and claim uh, the mantle of protector and identify an oppressor group. And you'll see that over and over again through history. Uh, Adolf Hitler did it, where the victims were the German people and the, the, the true Germans and how they were being, you know, victimized by um, the oppressors, which were the bankers, and the bankers were all controlled by the Jewish people, so therefore they were the oppressors. And the Nationalist Socialist Party and himself were the protectors in that case. And we saw where that ultimately got to as far as people agreeing to laws to deal with the quote uh, perceived oppressors that got to be extremely tyrannical. And it's something, you know, as we think about that triangle, what we need to do is that triangle is a falsehood. It, it, there's no pure victim oppressor protector triangle. You know, because it, it's you know, you, you know what what happens is it sets up the falsehood that um, people are are homogeneous as either being a victim or they're homogeneous as as oppressing the victims or 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 
you know, homogeneous as being, you know, uh, morally superior as the protectors. That's people are too complex and relationships are too complex. And uh, that that when you when you see people boiling things down to those to, to those three roles, beware, because it's usually somebody trying to use that to gain power. That victim protector oppressor triangle is rarely used to gain power over people by whoever's claiming the role of protector usually. So just you know, as you as you go through your daily um, life, just think about that. And and I, and and please, if I ever do that, call me on it. Because I really don't want power over people. And you can call him right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 646-721-9887. Just press one. Because if you think I've actually you know, tried to play that role of victim, protector, oppressor, um, I'd love to know about it because I will stop. <laughs> because cause I think it's one of the most destructive things happening in our country right now. And you see, um, you see it in both sides. You know, the, the folks that are all in an uproar um, and in and, and, and Charlottesville, you see both sides using that triangle. Well, Dave, you know, if I may ask you, how do you get beyond the, uh, well, I saw it on The View or on Facebook, so that sound blur must be true. Yeah, yeah, and that's, 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 that's tough. Um, and, and that's really where people have to get down to, you know, really critical thinking. And 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 when somebody says that to them, go, are you sure? Did you do your own research? Have you looked into it beyond just what you heard? And that that's that's the the the, the thing you have to ask back to people. Um, you know, we had a conversation before where I talked about. Um, how people are trying to do the um, politics of identity politics, where they're splitting people up into groups. This triangle is part of that splitting people up into groups. The um, the use of you know bumper sticker slogan type uh, uh, discussions politically um, gets into that somewhat too. But part of it is is taking some self awareness when somebody does that and and says, well, I heard it, it must be true. Um, first of all, don't immediately put that person in a group for saying that, you know, that that's, you know, think that that person actually has good intentions. We talked about that before. Always assume that, you know, whoever you're disagreeing with, they're disagreeing because they think it's the right thing, not because they have some evil, bad intentions. Although I would say there are some folks I disagree with, you know, like like the white nationalist folks, um, <laughs> there's some pretty bad intention there. Uh, but you know, for the most part, just in general civil discourse, uh, assume that person is well-meaning. So ask them a question back. You know, have you looked into that? Have you done your own research? And then then move you know move further into that and say, well, you know. Why don't we do that? Here, I've got my my iPhone out. You know, let's Google that and go. You know, and and start looking for some other independent verifications of that statement. You know, and if you and is that somebody said that so and so said that? Um, let's go find the original text of whatever that that speech was, or or um, you know, one of the things I I you know, got into quite a bit of discussion earlier this year was about the uh, executive orders that the president put out on immigration and what they actually said about sanctuary cities and didn't say and uh, get pointing people back to the actual text of an executive order sometimes uh, got people to understand that Lane County uh, wasn't qualified as a sanctuary county because we actually adhere to what the president wanted folks to adhere to in the executive order, which is we still communicate with immigration and customs enforcement 
when we arrest somebody on a criminal charge. It's when you don't communicate, he considers you sanctuary. And that that was, you know, go back to original sources. So always, you know, if somebody gives you that, well, I saw it on Facebook, I heard it on the evening news, so-and-so said he said that, really, have you actually verified that yourself? Have you done any research to know that that's really what happened or really what was said? And, and, and explore that with that person. Explore it together because you may find out your own understanding of events was incorrect too. You know, maybe somewhere between what you think happened and what that person believes off of reading Facebook. And as you go together and look into it, you might find out that both of you are incorrect about the, the, what actually was said. If you go back to the actual text or listen to the actual speech by going to a, a video clip or an audio clip or something like that. Um, it'd be, it, I wish that would happen more often. That critical thinking pattern of questioning what you've been heard or told and verifying it for yourself and getting it from multiple sources. That's exactly what Trump did in his speech last night, is that uh, the first speech that he made regarding the recent incident with the Charlottesville, mm -hmm. he reread portions of his speech word for word and asked the people, how could they get this out of this? Yeah, you know, I, I, and the unfortunate thing though is um, there. There's also a um, a logical fallacy of a, of leaving out information, <laughs> and and he conveniently left out some of what he said in his second um, press conference was what really got people. Uh, some people got upset about, you know, he, he didn't go back over his, his exact words that he said about good people. Uh, there are some good people on both sides um, of the issue. I forget exactly what his words were, but he didn't repeat some of the more inflammatory things as he was going back over some of what, the you know, the press. I, I, I do agree that I think that, that more got made out of that than should have. But again, it was yeah, he was setting up the triangle, right? And, and and in doing so, I think that's not productive for America. Blinded by the hatred, you're not seeing the truth. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think he would have been better served to break apart the triangle and, and um, you know ask people to um, be critical thinkers. And and go back and 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 watch those for themselves for themselves in their entirety and and make their own judgments. Um, uh, and that you know that's you know that's kind of what is kind of sad about some of this uh, desire to just eliminate every reference to the Confederacy in the public space because it erases part of our history that people should think critically about. Um, you know, it, it, it's a period of history that was a period of great change in America, and there was um, not everyone, you know, just like this triangle tries to set things up so much, you know, define people in absolute groups and in absolute um, thought processes, not every actor in the Civil War was is easily definable in absolutes. Um, yeah, so it, it'd be better to try and say, why don't you do your research and understand that particular um, person in history and what their role was and, and what lessons would you learn from that? Uh, and, you know, all throughout our history, you know, as recent as uh, this century, there were people that were extremely racist. Woodrow Wilson was a racist. Uh, but people remember him for creating the League of Nations and attempting to try and get, uh, you know, establish a more peaceful world in some ways as some of his good side. Yet he still had this back, you know, this backstory where he actually held some extremely racist police. Um, 
And so you can't just either paint Woodrow Wilson completely as a bad person and, and completely as a good person. There's a real story there in history that, it, it, you know, where was his racist beliefs generated from? You know, you know what was his, his intent in establishing the, the League of Nations? Uh, you know, it, you know there was, there's, there's so much complexity. You know, what were all the other moving parts going on in the world at the time? People should study history so we don't repeat it, but we shouldn't erase history from the public square just because some people uh, choose to try and focus on one piece of it. Um, and, and that's really, uh, you know, that gets back to that whole critical thinking. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And, and really, I challenge people to be critical thinkers and look for that information on their own. I try and do as much reading of history as I can. Uh, you know, I talked about Hamilton and, and Jefferson and Madison and, and Washington and Adams, some you know that I've read about pretty significantly on this on this program. All of those were really complex people. Boy, you know, everyone that wants to make a hero out of Thomas Jefferson, uh, he practiced some of the most yellow journalism behind other people uh that you can ever imagine that today we would just be appalled by some of what he said about adams uh through through uh third party press that he was controlling uh it, it, it's just incredible <laughs> and then ultimately adams and jefferson made up as old men and became friends again you know so you know that's you know another part of the story people aren't aware of <laughs> so it, it history is complex people are complex and and it's really bad to make assumptions from one thing you might have read on facebook one story you might have heard on the news uh you know it's it's going back to ronald reagan and trust but verify everybody should you know really get into that verify portion that's the critical thinking part go in and find out what somebody you know if if you heard somebody say so-and-so said that, please go and look at it. I mean, I've talked about um, how often local press stories are wrong about things that the county did. Um, probably one of the more recent examples is that story about the interagency narcotics um, enforcement team that got closed down here locally in Lane County and the way that Register Guard wrote the headline was that Lane County ends the interagency enforcement team, narcotics enforcement team, and it's not a Lane County team to be even be ended. It's an Oregon State Police team that was ended. That they that is actually an OSP function to form those teams and uh, and run them. So it, it was just you know that's just even the local press getting the story completely mixed up because the name of the team was the Lane County Interagency Narcotics Enforcement Team didn't mean it was a Lane County team. It, it's you know surprising how just having the name of something makes people kind of identify things. I can't tell you how many people think that Lane Transit District is part of Lane County <laughs> because they both start with Lane uh, when it's not even any there's no relationship at all between the lane transit district and lane county government i mean the lane transit district in lane county um, but it's actually a district set up by the state and has a board appointed by the governor um, and we have no control over it at lane county at all <laughs> so uh you know just you know please you know when you see those stories, sometimes it's best to ask the question. And if you have that question and you want to find out about a lane, you know, something you think Lane County did, you can call me here at the Bose Nose Show at 646-721-9887 right now and ask me that question. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets Robin, who you just heard a few minutes ago, my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation. 
And there are other ways to get a hold of me. Uh, of course, we're streaming this on Facebook Live right now. And you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net anytime. You can also Facebook message us through the Facebook page. Uh, you can Facebook message me through my uh, Jay Bozovich, uh, West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page, through my personal Facebook page, just Jay Bozovich. I'm the only Bozovich uh, just about on Facebook, but besides the rest of my family. <laughs> so pretty easy to find. I'm the only Jay Bozovich. Uh, so when you search for me on Facebook, it's easy. You can also get me even on Twitter uh, at Bozovich for Lane. That's Bozovich, the number four Lane, L-A-N-E uh, is my Twitter handle. So there are all sorts of ways to get a hold of me. In fact, you can even call me on my cell phone which I'll give out my cell phone right now is 541-953-6555. I uh, carry that with me just about everywhere. Of course, I'm not going to answer it now while I'm on the air, but uh, the best way to get a hold of me is probably that or by email through my county email address. Um, but you know, I, I offer this show as just another way to have a direct conversation with me which is at 646-721-9887. Got about three or four minutes left in the show here. Still time to get a quick conversation in about anything you want to talk about, whether it's homelessness, whether it's the victim protector oppressor triangle, housing first, forest fires. Was talking with somebody today about the difference between how the Oregon Department of Forestry attacks a forest fire and how the U.S. Forest Service goes after forest fires, and uh, yeah, we were we were we were both being wishful and hoping that one day the U.S. Forest Service would turn all forest fire fighting in the state of Oregon over to ODF because they seem to know how to get it done. They are so good on initial attack um, that a lot of fires that that ODF fights rarely get above 100 acres. You know, they, they, they stop them at 4, 10, 20 acres and, and get them out because they don't want them to get big. And they really um, concentrate on that, getting that people on that fire the moment they see a smoke column. They'll get, they, they have a fleet of these, what they call single engine air tankers. They call them SEATs, S-E-A-T. And they're little scooper planes that can actually fill their tank by flying right over the, the lake. They're quick return to the fire. Don't have a lot of capacity. You know, basically it's like a 500 or 1,000 gallon drop. I don't know what, what the total gallons are. But I've, I've actually watched them make a drop. It's pretty significant amount of water. And if you've got a small little fire, it can be just enough to hold it in place until they can get some ground crews in there and get that that sucker taken care of. Um, and it seems like the Forest Service, um, they got to, you know, call a big meeting, bring people in from all over the place, uh, study the aerial photographs, uh, look for endangered species for about a week, do some surveys, and next thing you know, it's over a thousand acres, and it's getting windblown and moving down the coast in Curry County to, you know, tens of thousands of acres in size and burning up people's homes. And then they seem to try and start trying to fight it, um, let alone getting in the question of the, the uh, 77 super tanker. So, you know, hey, is it getting to be that time, Robin, that I'm hearing the music come on, or is that just a, an anomaly we've got going there? It's actually time to ask people to like us and come back next week. Okay. Thank, thanks, Robin. I heard the music come up there a little bit, and I will do that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll finish our conversation about fires next week. Like us on Facebook, because that way you'll get our notifications at uh, – KRBN Internet News Talk Radio on Facebook. And we'll see you next week on the Bose Nose Show. And we'll talk about something else because uh, next week is going to be Public Safety Week at the, uh, the Board of Commissioners meeting. So we'll have a lot to talk about 
in public safety on the Bo's Nose Show. In fact, I might just bring on a special guest for next week. I'll let you know about that later on in the week. Good night. Have a great evening. This has been the Bo's Nose Show from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Have a great week. On a special guest for next week. I'll let you know about that later on in the week. Good night. Show from beautiful downtown Elmira.